Today, we have one of the foremost content creation experts and brand building experts in the world on the show, Leah Yu. Leah is the founder and CEO of Crave Beauty, uh, which has gone from the number 177th ranked brand that we tracked in 2019, all the way up to the number 37th ranked brand in 2020, boasting over 114% year-over-year growth. Simultaneously, she has her own channels, including her YouTube channel, which has over a million subscribers. It's a little bit longer of an episode today, but I encourage you to stick around. We dive into brand building, how she built up such a big audience herself, um, as well as some of the challenges that she's faced over the last year. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy today. Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Something that I've been thinking about kind of, you know, over the last couple of weeks, and I know this episode will come out at the beginning of the year, but is planning, right? So planning for 2022. And so I'd be really curious to hear about like, what are your guys' plans? What are the big things that you're focused on for the next year? Um, and what were, you know, what are some of the, the challenges you guys are trying to work through? Yeah, I think 2020 and 2021 taught a lot of beauty brands to be more than just a product focused brand, right? Because of the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter social injustice, but also a lot of environmental problems that the current administration and the current, you know, environment is facing, it does put a lot of responsibility and pressure into consumer brands because we ultimately hold the power to either influence or dictate how the consumers consume products. So I think now, um, including Crave Beauty, just going into 2022, like we're constantly thinking about what would it look like if we're not just a product focused brand? What do customers want and expect from us? And how do we adapt to this cultural shift with, you know, even like a paradigm shift, there's so many interesting happening in the metaverse world. Like, what would that look like? How would that impact the advertising world? Because I definitely do think mm -hmm. it will definitely impact the paid social strategy too. So how do you kind of connect all the dots that's happening in the world and adapt your business into um, those shifts and the transitions is something that I'm really interested in. So yeah, just trying to expand our platforms where our message is getting um, heard. I do think Instagram is something that is very dear to our heart where yep. it got to where we are right now mm -hmm. as a brand, but I don't think it's the future to be honest. So if we have something that we want to deliver in terms of the message that's super complex and very nuanced, which oftentimes like social injustice and environmental problems and even like how to choose the most sustainable yep. packaging solution, it's not so black and white, but all the the platforms that the brands are currently using, which are TikTok and Instagram, are very short form content. So there's only so much that you can do in terms of delivering the nuance and delivering the context and really including people into why you decided to make that certain business decision. So we're looking at other platforms that perhaps would convey a long form content, which is maybe YouTube or maybe podcasts that people can really absorb our intention from A to Z because we don't want to be just a brand saying that um, yeah. glass is better, plastic is bad. I think there's so much in-depth nuance into it that's hard to deliver through Instagram stories and it's going to be harder to deliver through a TikTok video. So we're thinking more holistically in how do we effectively deliver what we want to say to the audience, to the community, to our customers. That's really interesting because again, I think I get it. I, I, have, I talk to a lot of marketers, right? I talk to a lot of people in the industry and almost universally, it's like Twitch or not Twitch, TikTok, right? Focus on TikTok. That's like the, the channel. And you're saying like, no, 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 we're not going to go short. We're going long, right? We're going longer form, which, um, which I think, although you get, the numbers will be smaller, right? So the number of people that interact with it will be smaller. The connection that you achieve is greater. So, you know, yeah. it's hard to fully comprehend the human connection that occurs from listening to somebody's voice 
for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, multiple hours, 50, 100 hours or more. It's just very, very intimate, mm. right? In a way that like, doesn't come yeah. across uh, through short yeah. form content, which I think it still has its place, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So so does that mean, is this the announcement? Are you launching a podcast? Is this the, the big reveal? Um, not a podcast, but we are looking into different options. We don't have a definitive answer, but for sure that we're going to look into a longer form content. Very cool. And yeah, but I definitely agree. It definitely increases the stickiness of the brand, right? And the message um, and how effectively the message gets across. I think TikTok is really good at making something go viral yeah. in terms of the product. But there is a reason why like TikTok creators also want to be successful on YouTube because they also realize the, the intimacy that they can create on TikTok versus the intimacy and the relationship they can build on YouTube is very different. And YouTube is not going away anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that you personally, I mean, just thinking about your channels, you actually got onto TikTok for a little bit and then it looked like you achieved some success there but have refocused your own personal content on YouTube as well. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's uh, how do you think about kind of time commitments there? Like how much time are you spending day to day on YouTube versus, you know, anything else in terms of running your business? Mm, I think YouTube or my personal brand stuff has completely become my weekend side mm -hmm. hustle. And you, uh, running the company, running Crave Beauty has become my Monday to Friday full-time job. So it's pretty easy. You're a harder worker, you're a harder worker than me. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I, I try not to work on the weekends as much as I can. I do emails and that kind of stuff. But um, I know I talked to uh, Mariana Hewitt at uh, Super Fridays, mm. and she does a weekly podcast. And it's like, wow. I know. I know how much time it takes to put one of these together if you want to do it right. And uh, she's like, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a significant lift. So good on you. I don't know how she does it. <laughs> Seriously. Well, let's let's take a step back. So I want people to get to know you and kind of where you came from. So you started initially studying design and then with some interest in architecture. Right. Um, but then then pivoted to beauty, uh, specifically with a more Pacific. Um, talk to me about that, you know, that time in your life mm -hmm. and how, how things worked out. Yeah, for sure. I for sure knew that I wanted to become an interior designer from the age of 12. So that's why I majored in interior slash architectural design. I really enjoyed my study there. Getting a design degree was my, this childhood dream, but at the time you're trying to graduate and look for a job, you face the sense of reality, right? And I was still studying in Korea and I was looking for a job in Korea as well. And I think architecture and interior design as a field, just all across the countries, to be honest, is probably one of the demanding um, job in terms of the work hours, you have to sacrifice your weekend, you work 24 seven, and you get paid really, really low. So I wasn't sure if I really, really like and love architecture and interior design enough in order to make that sacrifice and be okay with a low paid salary. And my answer was no. And at the time, I mean, I grew up in Korea and I, I went to middle, I went to girl, all girls middle school, all girls high school, all women's college. And I, I think beauty was something that I was constantly surrounded by because I was like surrounded by women and girls in my entire life. So I think at the time when it was like 2012, K-pop was happening and gaining recognition internationally. And naturally that interest has shifted towards K-beauty and Korean skincare. And I think that was a time where in the New York City, there is like, Peach and Lily, Soko Glam, and soon like Glow Recipe came into the US market to really make K-beauty a thing and be an educator and also a pioneer in that space. So I thought that industry was so fascinating to me. And I was just looking at the entire companies in how like globe, what kind of companies in Korea do K-beauty really well or globalizing K-beauty really well. And it was, of course, a more Pacific 
And Amore Pacific has over like 26 brands. Um, so it was a natural choice for me. And luckily, they took a bet. I mean, to be honest, I did not expect them to hire a design degree in a digital marketing and e-commerce department. But I don't know what they saw in me. And I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity that I was given because that completely changed my career trajectory. Uh, but I also did not mention that in my senior year in college, I also did start uploading YouTube uh, content on YouTube. So that kind of made me dive deeper into the beauty industry and just the category in general. How long I've heard that really getting off the ground as a YouTuber takes a minute, like how many videos, like how long did it take before you really start to see some pretty significant growth? I don't know, define growth here, because everyone's definition <laughs> of growth is very different. Let's say, well, let's hear, how do you define growth? Like, what would you consider your different periods of growth? Because right now, mm -hmm. you've got over a million subscribers, so that I would consider that to be pretty big. Um, yeah, talk to me about the different stages. Like, how did you get there? Yeah, so initially, it was definitely a pure hobby. Like, did I thought, did I ever think about having an audience of a million different subscribers watching my YouTube content? Like, not at all. But I grew up yeah. watching Michelle Phan and other beauty YouTubers. And those are the people who taught me how to make my eye makeup pretty or make my skin look better. So I think it's something YouTube as a platform was something that I felt the most familiar familiarity with. So I just jumped on it, not really thinking about what the consequences would be, to be honest, or what the results would be. And no one was making million dollars of money on YouTube at the time because it was a very early stage still. Um, so when I jumped on YouTube, it was purely for my self-expression. And I'm a very introverted person. And it's funny because a lot of YouTubers are actually very introverted. They would rather talk to a camera it, instead of just talking to real people in real life, because even though you have like millions of subscribers, like <laughs> you, you feel like you're, I mean, they're not there in the same room to watch you, right? So you don't know who you're actually talking to. And there's like certain level of comfort that you get with the anonymous, anonymity, <laughs> anonymity. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned that at the beginning, you're like, I feel like I get more nervous for podcast interviews than I do for YouTube videos, which like, you know, the reality is this will reach important people, but a smaller number of people than your YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, important people in the context of, you know, from the business world perspective. Um, yeah, no, I have heard that very consistently over time, which has got to be one of the biggest misconceptions around people that create content is you kind of assume that they mm. would be extroverted, right? Only an extrovert would put themselves out there that way. But actually, it tends to be fairly introverted people, which is, uh, it's just so funny how that works out. Yeah, I mean, we find it interesting to, um, yeah, just to talk to anonymous hundreds and thousands of people than just one real human being, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and going back to your question of how I grew my channel, I know that was in one of the questions, but I feel like, you know, I grew very gradually, but then it was only until I trialed and erred and, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in trying to growth hack the YouTube uh, platform or the YouTube algorithm that I came to a yeah. realization that it's, the growth formula for YouTube or as a content creator is so similar to like how you would think in business. It is about product, finding the right product market fit. And mm. I think if you ask the fundamental question of, am I as a content creator, am I providing value to the person that's worth their time? Because for yeah. media and for content, the attention, which translates into the time, is currency. People's time is your currency. So if people are willing to watch your content by spending their precious 10 minutes, what kind of value are you providing? So I think that kind of fundamental question really changed my entire content strategy from, oh, what do I want to create as a content creator? 
into something that, oh, what do people want to see from me? What kind of information can I deliver? How can I make this content more digestible and more entertaining so that people can watch it through? Because like watch time is also the key metric on YouTube. So I think if you think about it in that way, you start providing value for free. I mean, not for free, but, you know, time is also currency, but for free monetarily. And people start yeah. gathering to your channel because you're obviously there to help their, with their skin or how to organize your closet or how to do this and that. So I think that's how you grow on uh, YouTube. Yeah, it's funny, like every word out of your mouth, I think is a word that's come out of my mouth before, but in the context of like our own marketing efforts, mm. which is like, and it is remarkable how bad most like corporate software, even like frankly brand marketers are, right? Because what they start with is like, what do I want people to learn, right? What do I want to convey? What's important to me, right? And it's like, oh, this is the message I want to come across. And it's like, oh, this is a new product that I need to emphasize, right? And it's like, no, no, no. Like, that's not that's not how you're going to get people's attention, right? Like, you should start with, like, what questions are they trying to answer? Mm. What quest- What are they interested in? Yeah. And how can I then help them starting at a, at a fundamental level when it comes to content? It's like when we started this podcast at the beginning, you know, you had somebody say, well, like, you're not asking about influencers. I was like, well, yes, influencers are in there, but that's not, like, that's not why people would tune in, right? People are here to learn about Leah, right? And to learn about what, how you got here, what makes you unique and special and what can I learn from your journey? And like, yes, influencers can be a part of that, but it's just, it's just, I, anyways, I, I just love, I want to click that statement and like that sentence, those yeah. two sentences you have and just like plaster it somewhere for every content marketer out there. Um, Cause it's absolutely the right approach, or at least from what I, what I believe is the right approach. Yeah, I think I'm totally on the same page with you. So I want to talk to you about kind of community building, right? Both in the context of your own channel, as well Mm -hmm. as in the context of the brand. So, you know, it's something that I've really come around to over even just the last few years, Mm -hmm. as I've seen, you know, the value that our community delivers to us, right? Mm. Whether it's a podcast or we do summits, we do all of these things. And it's like, because I've been work, we've been working on this for almost 10 years and we've built up this kind of community of relationships and allies. It's mm. just incredibly um, powerful, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious kind of what, what did it look like for you in terms of building out your community as an individual content creator? And then what did that also look like as a brand, right? What did that look like doing it as a brand and what have been some of the differences? Um, Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, I I think that's a really spot on question. And also I would be really curious about like how you built that community around you, because I think as your business is more B2B and a service based business, I would be interested in seeing like what what kind of things you did to form that community or retroactively looking back, like what did you do right? (laughs) And looking back, like how did you create that community? So for me, I think it's it was pretty similar, to be honest, in terms of how I built my community on YouTube and how Crave Beauty has nurtured and cultivated its own community online. But I think there's definitely a lot of brands out there where you create a whole culture around it and you sell that kind of aspiration or you sell that kind of specific lifestyle that kind of gathers the like-minded people. Um, I think a good example is like Glossier, Lululemon, or Tesla, or even like Apple. Like they have that kind of certain coolness to it or aspirational aspect to the business and to the brand where it attracts their own tribe. And I think those are good, but it also felt can sometimes feel very exclusive because if you're not the part of the gang, like you're not part of the gang, like you can't really sit with the people who's like, who belongs there. So like, it oh, almost... you're a Microsoft person, like, oh, you stay over here, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you use Teams? Like, ooh, you know. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> I'm kind of guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I to absolutely shame people for using Google Meets or Teams or anything else. I'm like, I am like a Zoom zealot. Like, if you use anything else, you're wasting money. You have time. a green bubble on your message. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, green bubble, huh? <laughs> no, I, I can't be that exclusive. But anyways. But, I mean, regardless of whether we personally are, that's yeah. a thing, right? Like, yeah. And it defines, like, in some ways, it, it, it's a badge, right? It's like, yeah. it's like you have, like, you clothes and there's badges you have, right? And these are the things that define who I am as a person. You kind of align yourself. It's a real thing. Building my own business with PD, that's, I thought I wanted that, like, that aspirational something that people so aspire to be that they feel almost like coming into that club or, you know, sitting on that yeah. lunch table is cool. But... I think the more I think about it, Crave Beauty is is not really an exclusive company, but we're here to really mm -hmm. include and handhold everyone. So for us, it was really about humanizing the brand. Like it, people eventually want very, very simple things like customers, as long as they feel included, as long as they feel like they have a stake in the brand, as long as they feel like they have a voice in the brand, I think that's when you can really quietly like gather people one at a time. And I think a lot of founder led brands are really amazing at this where um, it's as easy as involving the customers into how you make decisions for the company. And once you break down that wall or kind of give up the authority as a, yeah. I'm a brand and you're a customer, you break that wall and really humanize the brand and just communicate it as a person to another person. You're not only breaking down the barrier, but you're also inviting them to have a voice in how we make decisions and also sharing the same value sets too, because we don't want communities output for the sake of communities output. We want a very constructive dialogue and conversations. Um, so I think that's how Create Beauty has built its own community. And I think that's how I built my own community on my personal channel too. And it was really special because we, first of all, we don't have a shareholder or we don't have any yep. boards in our on our company at Great Beauty, which is a huge privilege, but we also use that to our advantage of yep. really prioritizing our stakeholders, which is our customers, our internal employees. So um, in the end of 2020, we held a mm -hmm. virtual stakeholder meeting, uh, inviting every customer who have purchased at least once and inviting everyone to join on the, the last day of December or the last day of 2020 to, and little did I know people actually showed up. And I think the turnout was over 500 people logged in from all different countries and all different cities across the nation on the last day of 2020. That's how they wanted to spend the, their last day of 2020. So I think it kind of tells to show, um, shows to tell that it's really important to have that human aspect of the business if you were to build a community. Well, and one of the things that I think is really important there too, right, is you said 500 people, which, you know, is a lot of people, right? If I were to try and fill up a room, that's a ton of people in a single room, right? But often I think marketers say, oh, well, like, that's only 500, right? That's not that many people. But that connection that you make is so meaningful, right, with those people that it has all of these kind of secondary effects, right? Where like they are going to be customers for life. When they go uh, out that night, they're going to talk about this cool event that they had where they get to talk to the founder and meet the team and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's, um, people sometimes can get too caught up in the numbers, right? And not realize like, Imagine filling a room with 500 people and then having that one-to-one -one connection mm -hmm. with people all over the world. Like that's so special. Um, and so uh, I love that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm super into it. Yeah. Uh, How do you think you built your own community? It's a good question. Because I, I mean, feel like yours is more high touch. Definitely more high touch. So, right. So smaller number of people, but I think the people that we interact with um, you know, are, uh, very impactful for us. Right. And very impactful, I think broadly. Um, so I would say the process for me, 
So when we first started out, we said, hey, we want to start creating content, right? So mm. we think that we can grow in this way. And frankly, the approach that we've taken to marketing is very similar to the approach that we recommend to our brands, um, which is, uh, oh, anyways, so, so we start creating all this content and people start subscribing to us. And at the beginning, you know, you might have like, 20 people or 50 people on your mailing list, right? This is a small number of people. And so, um, mm. and so what I would do is, and so I started going on these trips. So I'd fly to New York and I'd just reach out to like all the people that were reading our reports on our mailing list. And it could be like a student, it could be an assistant professor, it could be, you know, a brand marketer or a coordinator, right? Somebody far down the chain. I'm like, hey, let's get together. We'd like love to learn from you. Happy to talk about what we're seeing that works, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And so it was, um, it was just like, thousands and thousands of meetings, like one-on-one -on -one wow. meetings, right? And I think in every one of those meetings, the thing I tried to think about was like, what value can I deliver to this person? Like, how can I help them? And if you start there, right, if you start with that, then inevitably, you know, they return that favor most of the time, right? They say, mm -hmm. hey, well, how can I help him, right? Yeah. And doing it without having that be an expectation or being at a request coming in, like I'm not expecting them to do anything. I'm not requiring them to do anything, but I am trying to proactively help them as best that I can, um, given the resources that I have, whether that's network or that's knowledge or that's data or whatever it is, um, just works out really well over time, right? Um, and it's not, it's not easy to do, right? To do it for so long and so mm. many times. Um, but I do think it, it worked really well for us. Um, and so, and I think we tried to take that approach from a content perspective. Mm. We try to take that approach in most of the things that we do, I think, mm. um, you know, trying to deliver more value than, you know, than you ask in return or that you expect in return. Yeah. And, uh, I think it works. Yeah. Um, I think you're becoming like a, an influencer to one person at a time in a way where you're collectively also building not only the stickiness, but like that credibility and trust with everyone on a more human and person to person level, which I think that brought to brought you to where you are and your business to where it is right now. For sure. And I, I also think that people underestimate kind of time, right? So, you know, I'm about a decade into this journey. Um, I'd say that I probably have another three or four decades of work right ahead of me at a minimum. It's like, how much more can I do? Like, this is only the first one. Right? I could do this four more times. And like, holy shit, like, that would be crazy if I could do that, right? So um, I think having, it's like for you, right? You're what, 10 years now, 12 years into your YouTube journey? Yeah, like, 10 years. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Crazy, number one, that like you did it for that long. And then number two, what could you do with four more decades, three more decades? Now, maybe you don't want to be creating YouTube videos when you're in your 70s. Yeah. But we don't know where it's going to go. Like, what's what's it going to be like when you're four decades down the line, right? Mm. And you've been creating content for 40 years, 50 years. Wow. Uh, it's just fascinating to think about. Yeah, I really love the fact that you're thinking in a more infinite mindset instead of having like, a rigid or a structured plan of like, this is my exit, this is my next step in my life, but you're really enjoying the process and enjoying the ride in a way. Totally. And I also think, I think that, um, you know, thinking about how things, so not like an exit and a change, but like, how does this build to this, right? Like mm -hmm. how did these things compounding? Yeah. Without being like too rigid, right? Um, but thinking about like, oh, wow, you know, say that we did decide to leave the company or, you know, do whatever, um, you know, I think it'd be pretty foolish not to leverage everything that we've built the yeah. first 10 years. Right. And so, um, which for you, right. I mean, that's, that's, you can see that process, right. From a more to your mm -hmm. YouTube or YouTube to a more to, you know, crave, like, it's just really inspiring to see. Right. And really cool. So congrats. Mm -hmm. No, likewise. I know you had you guys had went through a major change too with with an acquisition. I'm sure there's a lot of million different pieces that you guys are thinking about for your own future too. But yeah, happy to chat through. But I'm sure. But it seems like you're also very enjoying the ride too. Oh, for sure. I mean, this next step in the journey for us is going to be crazy. I mean, it's like the next two to four years is going to get really weird in the best kind of way. I think. Yeah.
So, um, or really weird in the worst kind of way, but that seems unlikely. Um, so one of the things I thought was really interesting when I was kind of reading about you was, you know, I saw a lot of you in me, right? Or me in you, however that works. Um, <laughs> when I was reading about kind of your founding of the Crave story, right? And let me tell you what I mean by that. So, you know, you went to Amore Pacific and you got in and you got a little disillusioned by the industry, right? You're like, okay, they're preaching like 20 different steps. Maybe all these different things that you don't need. It's actually being more harmful than it's being good. And you're like, I'm going to change it all, right? And I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it the right way. Um, and I, I very much felt the same way. I remember John and I, when we started the company, we're like, God, the old guys that ran our companies, they didn't know what they were doing. We're going to do it way better, you know, whatever. Now that you're a few years in, and now what I've found is I have a lot more empathy for those people. I'm like, oh, okay. I see why this was happening here. I see why that was happening there. Have you kind of started to empathize <laughs> with them a little bit more now that you're a few years in, right? Um, or do you still feel pretty passionately about, um, and not necessarily just the product, but just about running the business in general? Um, I think there's a multiple layers to this. Yeah. And how I would answer, because the one that really disillusioned me about the industry is it's like kind of deeply rooted in the way how capitalism worked, to be honest. And mm -hmm. it, this is not really unique to one specific company, one specific corporate, but it's really just a lot of how corporate America has built their rich or their wealth by mm -hmm growing at all costs and at all costs by meaning exploiting labor, exploiting, you know, leaving a really significant environmental impact. And I think when that was in, uh, when that's impact, I mean, when that's carried on to, when that approach is carried on to the beauty industry, it's like what I saw inside a big beauty conglomerate was that the product launch is never dictated by a consumer. The product yeah, launch, is always mainly dictated by the shareholder's interest rather yep. than how do we solve a customer's pain point? How do we make the user life better? It's always about, we need to hit 5 million this year. We're at 2 million. We need to capitalize on the bestseller, make that into a million different categories all of a sudden. <laughs> so it's, it's now, now that like the entire market is so saturated, the customer acquisition cost is higher than ever. It's so yep. hard to recruit or gain a new customer. So for growth, a lot of companies are rather spending their dollars into creating more products so that they can sell 10 products to one person that they already have. So I think that really changes the, like it's a kind of ripple effect where that kind of mindset or that growth formula really impacts how what the languages are used in beauty advertising because now that your goal is to sell you need to somewhat manipulate the customer in order to sell products and to in order to manipulate them you need to somewhat make them feel really bad about themselves and make them feel like they're gonna shit without your product and therefore they need your product so i think it's like all of a chain events where I saw happening, like from where the capital is flowing into how the decisions are made in the business and how that gets translated into the product launch cycle and how that cascades down to how the mar marketing and advertising is done. So that's really why I came into the industry to run my own ship in the own way that I think it's the most ethical and the most right thing to do, which is not to, you know, over manipulate, I mean, not to manipulate your customers, but really just rather empower people and trust people that they can make the best decision for themselves. And if your product is something that they are looking for, we are going to be there for them. But we don't need to really distort the truth by saying like, oh, your skin is like, like these are dirty and these are toxic. You need to, you need to do this and that. I feel like the skincare industry has become a little bit too too complicated when it should be really straightforward. It's like I kind of take the food industry or the diet industry as an example because there's so many like trendy diets and there's so many should do's and supposed to do if you want to lose weight. But if someone is really in tune with their bodily system and their natural like functionality, like they know 
what food works and doesn't work. They know what food bloats them and what doesn't. I think people have the intuition naturally, but then it's all masked and confused by so many advertising and marketing. And that's what I wanted to change, really trying to simplify and uncomplicate the beauty industry and really give the power back to the customers in a way where your skin is naturally really smart. So respect your goddamn moisture barrier that you're already <laughs> born with. Like that's the best thing that you can gift, your, gift yourself because you and no products can really outsmart a natural like human biology design, to be honest. And that's a fact, right? And skincare is not a drug either. It can't really do so much in terms of changing someone's skin. So it's it really comes down to measuring the expectation and just making sure for us, like, yeah, just really <laughs> focusing on the stakeholders over shareholders. And you can see like how much I'm passionate about this subject. Totally. And I, I think like, the our next step, I actually didn't tell you in the beginning of this podcast, but in 2022, um, uh, we're launching a venture studio. Like we're completely bootstrapped and we're, we are at a very privileged space where, or privileged situation where we do have some cash that we can reinvest into either our own business or to something that's better or to have a bit bigger impact. So we separate, we kind of allocated the fund out of Cray Beauty and set up a new venture studio called Press Reset Ventures to reinvest back into the beauty industry's ecosystem to make sure that the entire industry can become a more sustainable or can become a more inclusive place. And I think there's so much to be done in the capital space or like the shareholder space that everything needs to start changing in order for me to feel proud that I am here for a clear mission, if that makes sense. Okay, I was really rambling, but I hope- No, that was awesome. <laughs> I loved it. You need to connect with, do you know uh, Melanie Bender? At oh, Earth? yes. Yes, yes, She's yes. She's huge into this kind of stuff. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, you're such a fascinating person. And what I mean by that is, you know, so you start this channel and you realize you're like, a lot of this stuff is bullshit on the, the beauty side. Um, and so I'm going to try and create my own brand, right? That kind of pushes these missions. And and I remember in one of the interviews, you said like, basically you only need three products, right? There's like a cleanser, a moisturizer, and a sunscreen, I think is what you said. And I yeah. don't know that could have changed over time, but like, that's it, right? That's and it. I my own personal journey, I also had acne when I grew up. And I used all kinds of weird stuff and, you know, none of it worked. And as I got older, part of it's just getting older, but I just stopped using stuff. And it turns out my skin kind of figured it out for the most part. Right. And so, um, so it's interesting to say like, Hey, all these products are bullshit and like, you really shouldn't even use them. And, but if you need to, here they are, right. Here's the things that you actually should use. It's just so, um, and then on the, on the investing side, Anyways, I, 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 I now I'm the one that, that is rambling, but, um, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to press a reset here really quickly. So what I want to talk about is I know that for you, right. So you start this brand. So let's kind of recap. You go to a more that grows quickly. Your YouTube takes off, You go after that. You start crave beauty that explodes, grows very, very quickly. And then I think last year, right. You faced some issues, right whether that was you had the beat shield kind of sunscreen controversy, which, you know, obviously was, um, you know, not of your doing necessarily. Um, and we, we don't have to talk about that, but, um, and then you had some kind of, uh, you know, some of your fans get upset. Right. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, talk to me about what that year has been like for you, right. What it's been like to go through, you know, a tougher year after having like many years of success in a row. And I've had these kinds of years. I know what it is. Um, but talk to me about that. And if there's been, you know, maybe it's a little too fresh to have learnings from that, mm -hmm. but, but talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So beginning of 2021 was not my time. <laughs> yeah. I think externally, I definitely felt, I mean, faced a lot of scrutiny where publicly um, we had to pull out the beat shield, which is beat the sun sunscreen from Korea out of the market. And that really wasn't a question at all because 
it needed to be done. I wasn't really proud in the result. And of course, like whether some might think it's still okay or whether some might think it's still disappointing. I think it's not something that we promised and I don't feel comfortable putting this product out there with the SPF yep. value that is claiming. So we definitely took a financial hit because we also refunded thousands of customer orders. And I know a lot of you know people in the industry know that SPF testing is by nature never consistent. And they think we kind of overreacted. Like people say that, why did you do that? Like there are a million different brands that kind of discontinued very, very silently and just renewed their product without even knowing, but they also don't really have a physical or like a uh, face of the brand or yeah. per se. And they don't really communicate that. Like those are the brands that really don't have a uh, active social channel anyway. So I knew that was not something uh, that I wanted to do by silently discontinuing and like renewing product, but it really did teach us as a brand as with the whole product development team, especially to thoroughly vet our vendors and suppliers, the labs, and even the testing labs, because little did I know, like testing labs can really, you know, mess up things. <laughs> and I think we learned a lot about like SPF testing from A to Z, and we're going to bounce back faster and we're going to bounce back stronger and more resilient because of this. And I think looking back, of course, like it was really brutal during the time, like internally, the team members were also at a place that it's not really stable. Um, but I think I'm glad it happened because it taught us to be doing our due diligence, like in the way that I have never imagined ourselves doing. So that is one. The second thing was definitely something that happened with my own like personal life, with my association with a church that I attended. And the church happened to be anti-LGBTQ plus community. And by no means, I think institutional values never need to align with the personal values. And I think there's no institution out there that's going to 100% represent who you are as a human and what you believe in. I think a lot of people still got hurt by the association with me and the church. I'm going to always say that I, looking back, like all the struggles and the hardship you have, you're glad that you had those because you become a better person through those kind of breakthroughs and hardships and struggles. And I truly believe that... Yep no pain, no gain. And it was a painful year, not only externally, but also internally as well. We had a pretty toxic company culture in the beginning of 2021. Um, our people were, were leaving and you always kind of learn at the cost of sometimes unintentionally hurting people. And whether that is the people that you really cared about, like when once they are hurt, they're going to leave. And I had a lot of growing up to do. And our team as a whole team had a lot of growing up to do too. Yeah. And that was like 2021. So in the end of 2021, I think I am now at a very great place where I went through a lot of therapy sessions. <laughs> and I think I had a lot of candid conversations even about the religion or the institution with the person who had um, started talking about my association or my affiliation with the church i had a time to actually sit down with him virtually over the phone and talk it out and really um, learn from one another about each other's perspective and also the beach shield of course it definitely did teach us to be more diligent about our vetting process and I think overall I have a I now have a team that I can fully rely on and I think now we're at a very 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 healthy place because your team kind of grows and transitions into multiple different phases right as your business grows I'm sure with the rapid growth yeah. that you guys had too your founding team are not necessarily the one who grows it. And the growing team are not necessarily the team who's going to really specialize in like each domain. So yeah, it, I think it's all a learning curve. And that's what my 2021 was. <laughs>
I mean, we went through kind of a similar, uh, not, and we went through a similar tough year. I mean, like maybe two of them. One in particular, though, where we lost a bunch of data, right? So we lost a bunch of data, um, lost a bunch of customers because of that. So we Instagram shut off their API. We lost all the Instagram data. And that was really shitty because Instagram's turns out pretty important to us. And, um, and so, and then realized actually that there was this pattern and the people that were leaving mm. had a consistent pattern, which was basically that they were mostly small brands. So we like, didn't, you know, if you get three tweets a week, you really don't need our software, mm. right? It's not particularly useful. And so we decided to cut out about 50% of our revenue. Wow. Um, and that's just not, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, right? It's like you, you drop a skew, imagine dropping 50% yeah. of your revenue skews, right? It's a big deal. Um, and so, you know, now we came out of it and I, I remember looking at John and saying like, I'm like, it's going to take two years. I was like, the next two years are going to suck. Like, we're not going to hire people. We're going to have to scratch by. And it all happened at a time where we were, we were in the middle mm -hmm. of fundraising right on cash. And, uh, and it was like awful. It was like, there was times where it was, I just, I will always remember sitting in a meeting and I thought we had gotten through most of it. And then sat in a meeting and got an email from uh, uh, one of our biggest customers saying like, hey, got to cancel. And it was like, they said they were going to renew and it was like close to a million dollar contract, which for yeah. us, almost all of our revenue goes towards head, right? So um, I just remember calling my wife and being like, fuck, I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. I'm like, I don't know what to do, right? Like, and, uh, but we made it through. And I think that, you know, we definitely had some people who, weren't ready for that part of the mission, right? That wasn't what they had signed up for or were interested in because we've been doubling and doubling and doubling. Um, um, but now that we're on the other side and the mm -hmm. business is exploding and it's growing very quickly and there's been all of these positive benefits of being really focused on who our customer should be, um, it feels great, but it was shitty. It was not fun. I mean, like it's a lot of like waking up 2 a.m. and like trying to figure yeah. shit out. And like, I think that that yeah. is part of life is like, you're like, oh shit, yeah. I thought I was the shit. And then like you hit in the face. It's like, oh wow. Like that sucks. Like I didn't know this about myself. Um, or I didn't know that I was ignorant about this thing or I didn't know, I thought I knew how to do this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I don't know how I think we should all be proud of where we are now because it also means that we didn't give up at the time where we really wanted to give up. I think 2021 was that to me where I'm like, I think the universe is telling <laughs> right? me <laughs> to silently. Like, being like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to go in and wake up. I'm going to like fight through it and you figure yeah. it out. And like, you come out on the other side, I think a better yeah. person. Um, or I like you earned it, right? You earned that, that knowledge, that expertise, that mm. uh, scar, right? Um, mm. anyways, well, I've got a bunch of other questions, but I'm running up on time because of how much time I was supposed to. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm going to kind of flip the script here. Usually we do an end fun end of show question. And based on your other interviews, I can tell that you do a lot of research on your hosts. I saw that you looked at my LinkedIn. I know that you've listened to our podcast interviews in the past, part of the way that we got connected. So if you had one question for me, what would that question be? Oh, I think now looking back on our conversation today, I, I see like a pattern of mm. resilience in both of us. And I know that you had a question to me about like what kind of advice would you give to someone who's starting or someone who's running their business? I think you are a very resilient founder and you've been running the, the company for a decade now. And I've been running my YouTube channel for a decade now. And I think that it not only takes persistence, perseverance, but also resilience throughout like to go through each hardship, but still deciding and determining that this is your path. What kind of advice, like what did you use to train your mind to pick yourself back up to go at it again? And what kind of advice would you give to people who might be going through the same things? 
or same stage in their career right now? Yeah, I think, um, and thank you for the compliment. Um, I think, so I wrote this in a book to someone. It was a really cool experience. So I moderated this table of brand founders and um, it was cool. You'd kind of go through it. And they did this fun thing where they gave everybody books. They had you inscribe something into the book. And then, you know, you didn't know who it was going to go to. But, you know, unsurprisingly, you handed it to the person to your right. And then they got to take that with them. And it was quite interesting. And so the thing that mm. I wrote to that book um, was something that my co-founder and I have talked about for a long time. Um, and it's slightly morbid. I don't know if it's necessarily inspiring, but it worked really well for us. And the thing my co-founder used to always tell me was, you know, with most companies, um, the outcomes are fairly binary, right? Either the company dies or it goes on to, you know, moderate to great success, right? It does fairly well, particularly in technology companies. And so he's like, the only difference mm -hmm. between these two is that this one didn't die, right? Like that's almost always the difference between the two. And so, so he's like, all we have to do if we want to achieve great success is not die. Just don't die, right? Just don't, don't die. Like, and dying can mean like you lose, like you said, like, I just want to give up. It's most of the time people just want to give up. It can be like, I ran out of money. I have no access to money. I can't make it happen anymore. There's a very small number of things that can kill you. And so if you just avoid those things, mm -hmm. um, you will more than likely be successful. To what degree can be discussed, but you'll more than likely be successful. Mm -hmm. And so, and there was many times where John and I would look at each other and there was a bar right nearby our house. And I'd look at him and I'd tell him like, I don't give a shit. Like I'm going to drag this thing kicking and screaming into existence, whether it wants to exist or not. Right. So, and so, and so wow. we just kept telling each other, just don't die. Right. Just don't die and you'll get there. And so, and you know, obviously we did to some extent with the acquisition um, and hopefully we can again, right. With another one. And so that would be my advice not life advice, but entrepreneurial advice um, to somebody. Just don't give up, right? You'll get there. Uh, it just fight through it. Um, oh my God. Yeah, that's making me really emotional because it's so true. It's so simple. Like just survive, man. It's like pure survival. Um, but I, I really appreciate that. I think maybe I needed to hear. And I'm sure a lot of people who's listening to this podcast and this video would really appreciate and it's like the simplest advice that just really struck you hard right it just hits you in the head it's like just decide wake up today and decide not to die then you'll do everything to survive you'll choose survivor survival you will choose to show up for your team i think that's powerful. So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> of course. And thanks so much for joining. I had an awesome time. I'm so glad we ran into each other. And um, now I have you as a friend, which is great. And uh, yeah, and uh, congrats again on everything you've achieved. I know 2022 is going to be awesome. And everything you've done to now is, is just super impressive. Thank you, Connor. Thank you. Thanks right. for having me. It was a really big pleasure. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, bye, Leah. Bye. Hit subscribe now earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribedynamics.com. tribedynamics.com.